my name is Jacob, and I'm a Norse pagan, and welcome to the 20th episode of the Folk Podcast. We're almost old enough to drink, boys. I'm so excited. Um, we also have a guest this week. I'm sorry it's been so long since we've had a guest. It's just been crazy around the holiday season. But we have Hugh from um, the Raven's Eye YouTube channel and uh, the Raven's Eye Kindreds on Instagram. So Hugh, go ahead and tell us about yourself and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Hugh. I am a uh, Norse pagan. Uh, I have uh, been a pagan for pretty much the majority of my life. Uh, I went through periods on and off with Christianity because it was the what I was raised with, specifically Roman Catholicism. Um, but I first started becoming interested in uh, paganism and magic and Wicca when I was about eight years old. And uh, from there, like my studies took me into learning all sorts of things about not just uh, Christianity, but the Celtic faiths, the uh, Norse uh, mythology, the Greek mythology, pretty much everything. I even went into learning about Buddhism and Hinduism. I looked into different types of animism from different cultures. And I started developing a belief that there's always something you can learn from another person's uh, culture. I've been openly pagan for the last six or seven years or so. Uh, and uh, it was probably around uh, this summer or so where I just really felt the call from the gods to really do something and like to help people learn about them and so that's when i started working on uh, creating the raven's eye so when you um created the raven's eye what do you have like an overall goal behind it besides like education is there anything specific to your practice that you feel like um you want to share with others eventually i do want to start sharing more about uh, different uh, divinatory practices like casting the runes or reading tarot uh maybe like astral projection and dream walking um but ultimately my goal is to actually buy some land open a hall and just create a place where anybody can come to find answers to anything that they uh, have a question about sounds awfully familiar (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so you said that you um you know, you kind of dabbled with a bunch of different forms of paganism and then even like Hindu and um, Buddhist. Um, I myself kind of did a very similar thing. Uh, Growing up, I was exposed to a wide range of different forms of paganism. Um, Was there any sort of like particular reason that to like one after the other, like what, or was it just like an overall general interest? Because like I know for myself, I I did a lot with Celtic paganism for a while before I got into before I was fully committed to Norse paganism. Um, but was there any like particular like like reason that drew to one or the other? I guess that's a question. Um, originally, I was drawn to Wicca because that's what I was first exposed to, um, and through that I started learning about the Celtic deities and started diving into Druidry. And um, it was while I was doing that and at the same time kind of like learning about Christianity by like reading like the Gnostic Gospels, um, reading the writings of early church leaders, 
I started to see an overall trend um, through a lot of different things. And it just, the more I dove into uh, learning about the different religions, the more I started connecting dots between them and seeing how there were so many similarities between them. And so after a while, I started to like really pick apart uh, the Indo-European cultures and try and find those common ties uh, for all of the uh, belief systems and all of their uh, mythologies. And um, this was probably about uh, five, six years ago um, when I started getting the first ravens uh, showing up. And from there, that's when I started like really looking into the north side of things more off more than I had been. Um, it's it's more of a than a, a general interest and a, a desire to learn the origins of the beliefs. Uh, yeah. So I've I've watched some of your YouTube videos whenever uh, Jacob brought told us you were going to be our guest. The one that I haven't watched, I'm really curious about, is your video on uh, Loki and Odin being. Uh, I think you said blood brothers or oath oath whatever because we know they're tied to one another and i want to get your thoughts and opinions on that i'm actually really happy that you brought this one up because this is one of my favorite videos um so in locusena when loki goes into the uh, hall and he's insulting all of the other gods one of the things he says to odin is that he reminds him he reminds him that they had sworn an oath to each other to never accept a drink unless the other was offered one. My interest in this was instantly captivated because I, I had always been very uh, in tune with Loki and Odin, but separately. And I'd never really looked at them together before. And then I started looking at the uh, uh, history of Odin and Loki and their worship in uh, Norse society. And I stumbled upon um, information about uh, Odin's brothers, Hainir uh, uh, and Lothar, uh, or Vili and Ve. Um, and I started to learn more about, uh, in particular, Lothar, um, who I found a theory that Lothar was Loki. After I, I read that, I started looking at uh, everything we, I could find about the parentage of Odin and the parentage of Loki. Um, and like, for instance, Odin and Loki's mothers were Besla and Laufe. Both of those names mean something to do with like tree, like uh, Besla is like uh, bark and Laufe is uh, leafy, if I remember correctly. And uh, Loki's father's never really explained, um, not really with any uh, definitive uh, evidence or proof, I guess. There's, there's really not much on who Loki's father is. So I, I uh, started looking at it as maybe the whole idea of Lothar being Loki might have been a lot truer than previously thought. And uh, that led me to looking at the interactions between Loki and Odin 
in a new light because Odin basically represents order and Loki basically uh, represents chaos. You can't have one without the other. And uh, so after looking into all that, I started to realize that the whole, their whole entire relationship is basically a balancing act between them. I know when um, I was reading Matthias Nordvig's book on the uh, intro to uh, Ossetru, you know, Beginner's Guide to Ossetru, um, he mentions that he always gives an offering of salt to Loki before any other offering to ensure that the offering makes it to the proper deity, but also to call to that that relationship between Odin and Loki um, and maintain that oath. And I, I actually really like that practice, um, and I've even considered taking it into my own. Um, so was there anything within your own practice that you kind of, you know, call to that as well? Um, anytime I make an offering to either Loki or Odin, I always include the other, even if it's just a mention and just an aside, just pouring an extra drink. I always include both of them. Um, because I, I honestly believe and feel that by doing so, I'm acknowledging that that oath between them is there. And I'm, uh, acknowledging that. I believe in need, the need for that uh, balance between them. It's actually it's a really good way of looking at the relationship between the two of them and even just shedding a different light on Loki himself. Because I know a lot of people just automatically assume that Loki is a prankster, a trickster, like he's only here to, you know, instill chaos and make our lives more difficult. But when you have discussions with people who are, about Loki followers, they have a very different approach. And I feel like the, what you were just saying uh, on what you read and everything in your viewpoint, I think that might honestly help a lot of people kind of look at Loki in a different light as him not just being that like annoying cousin that always has to do something, like always has to be the center of attention kind of a situation. I think it might shed a different light on him. Cause I know um, with myself um, being a hell follower, I have kind of, devoted myself to um, changing the persona that she is given where a lot of people are like, you know, essentially like afraid of her or slightly terrified of her because of what she represents and what, you know, uh, where she's at and her appearance and everything like that. So I feel like with the way that you just described their relationship and how um, honestly, I feel like Loki should realistically kind of be treated might help people kind of start to go away from that negative look on him. Yeah. Um, well, one of the best ways that you can look at Loki is look at him at, as like one of the, uh, those wildfires that we periodically get. All right. In those areas, the wildfire is a part of the natural ecosystem. Those, some of those areas have to burn in order for them to uh, get new growth and sustain life. Um, so those fi fires aren't just destructive forces. They're destructive for a purpose, for a better reason. Um, Loki is neither good nor evil. He is chaos. He is what comes through and balances everything. Um, when your life becomes out of balance, 
Loki's the one that's sitting there tapping you on the, the shoulder, trying to get your attention. Um, when, uh, when, for instance, those fires break out, it's Loki setting forth the uh, inevitable cycle to breed, grow, and to give new life. Um, so taking that into account, if you look at the uh, stories of Ragnarok, a lot of people like to say that Loki is a villain because he sides with the Jotuns during Ragnarok. And I have to disagree. Loki is not a, vi a villain for siding with the Jotuns. The Jotuns aren't villains for going to war against the Aesir. Uh, the way I look at it is that Ragnarok is a cyclical event that is bound to happen over and over again. And certain guys are bound to play certain roles every single time. I believe that Loki knows the role that he is supposed to play. Whether he likes it or not, he does what he is supposed to do in order to ensure that the events play out the way that they are supposed to. I remember, um, and this is not something I've ever actually explored, but seems to be a very common thread in Loki worship um, and Loki research is the connection of him and fire. So it's interesting you bring up um, the wildfires um, because I've seen I've seen several mentionings of him being the god of fire, and I think that is a very poetic way to you know describe him because fire does not care what it burns down. Fire is fire, and you know, um, yeah, go ahead. That's actually technically not correct. Oh, go ahead. Um, so based off of the etymology of Loki's name, it is related to the Norse word lot, which um, is fire. But however, historically, Loki was seen not as the god of the fire itself, but of the air that fed the fire. He was uh, what fueled it and gave the fire life, not the fire itself. I'm writing that down right now. That's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is a, a common misconception based off of the etymology of the names, but he was seen more of a, uh, a god of the hearth than a god of flame. You know, definitely looking at you know we've had a, obviously an entire episode on Loki before, and it's one of the greatest mysteries and like conversations within Norse paganism. Um, and it's, it is fascinating because of the main deities that are, I would say active in the United States, Loki is one of them. You know, I would say, you know, Odin is very active. I would say um, yeah, probably Loki would be the next one. Like I see more Loki worshipers than hardly any other you know deity besides Odin. So it's, it's really fascinating. And there has to be a reason for that, that that carried on, you know, all the way through to the modern era. Uh, I believe it's because of that uh, balance between Odin and Loki. And the United States just happens to, I guess, be the place where that balance is really reaching its potential. I would agree. And not, not even like in just Norse paganism in general, like Odin and Loki are talked about in other circles of paganism um, from Hellenistic to uh, whatever the Egyptian uh term is like all these different forms of paganism wiccan and other ways of practicing they all also talk about mostly Odin and loki which is really fascinating um when you look at it on a bigger scale because you wouldn't think we know odin's a traveler so if people 
curious about Odin when you're looking at Norse paganism is not a wonderment because we know he travels, he looks for other knowledges and stuff like that. But Loki, we wouldn't picture that. Like, it's very interesting to know that so many people are curious about Loki, asking questions about Loki, and they don't even follow the Norse path. Well, I, I have a, a sort of, for lack of a better way to describe it, pantheistic view in which I believe that every god that's ever been believed in exists. They only hold power over those that believe in them, and they take the form of the person that's calling upon them, the, the, person, the form that that person recognizes. Uh, so, for instance, um, a lot of people equate Odin with the Greek Zeus. However, that's actually not correct. It's Tyr that is the equivalent of the Greek Zeus. They both descend from the Indo-European uh, god, if I remembered how this is pronounced, uh, Deus Potter. Um, anyways, it's the root for the name Tyr, the name Zeus, and for Jupiter. Um, Loki is often seen as the god uh, Janus from um, Roman mythology, the two-faced god of choices and crossroads, uh, god of doorways. Um, and then he's also equated often with a, the Egyptian, I'm mean not Egyptian, uh, African deity, uh, Anansi, the um, trickster spider. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of overlap between these different uh, deities and these different pantheons, and a lot of people are starting to see the overlap. And that's one of the reasons why you'll see someone who follows the Hellenistic path talking about Loki or Odin or Tyr or even someone following the uh, Egyptian path talking about them. Well, I don't know if I've directly brought this up on this podcast. I might have. Um, but to me, you know, I always have to look back to how, you know, someone in a pre-Christian, you know, you know, tribal era would perceive the deities. And to me, you know, when you go outside and you feel guided by something, and then that, that leads you to a positive effect or a negative effect, you go back to your tribe and you share that with them. And you say, hey, this presence led me to this negative thing, or this presence led me to this positive thing. And then as more and more people began to have these experiences, they started to put names behind them. So, you know, yes, you know, we have these different names for these multiple different deities that are also connected, but it's just because different tribes had different names for those presences that we're all trying to reach out to, or at least that's how I perceive it. Um, so, you know, like with me, you know, it's like, if you feel Odin, you're being guided to something to better yourself or to, you know, better his interests, which we later, later to come find out. And with Loki, it's interesting. You bring up like the, the two-faced deity, you know, the God of pathways, like or crossroads. That's really interesting. Cause I feel like that is how Loki is experienced, at least from the people I've talked to. Uh, I honestly, 100% believe that Loki is not just a trickster. He's he is a god of choices and crossroads. I believe he's the one that pulls the strings of, of people's fate in order for them to meet and for certain circumstances to happen. Uh, he is the person who will put you at that crossroads where you have to make a decision. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, like Jacob was saying, like having talked to quite a few people that um, are Loki followers and hearing some of their personal experiences with him it de definitely seems to be a normal uh 
reoccurring thing is is Loki leading them to a particular point of okay, you can either go this way or this way. You know, we, uh, the way that you take it could potentially be more chaotic than the other, but I'm at least going to give you that option and kind of show you. You know, I wouldn't necessarily say the end goal, but I'm going to you, you know, that you have a choice. I'd have I'd have to agree. Um, Loki has a tendency to provide you with a glimpse of your choices, but not necessarily the outcomes of those choices. So to bring it back to um, your YouTube, so I do want to ask you, because um, originally why this conversation has even happened in the first place is because you contacted me uh, about collaborating on something. So um, obviously you're wanting to step back into the YouTube game. So uh, what is your uh, what is your game plan for uh, stepping back into it? Uh, well, right now I have a uh, script I'm working on for a video about uh, Heimdall being uh, Odin's brother, Heinier, not actually his son. Um, I've got a series that I'm working on for the runes and another video for uh, Hugin and Munin. Um, but my ultimate goal is to try and right now um, I'm looking at posting maybe once every two weeks or once a week. And eventually I'd like to build up to where I'm able to post a lot more often. As a YouTuber, try to do every week. Yeah, just because the algorithm, if you post every two weeks, we'll just not even care about you. And that's just a you know, sad truth, you know, to, to push through. And I, I learned that I was like, oh, I'm going to do three videos a week. And I found out that that was too many. So like now, even as a full time YouTuber, I've found that two a week is a very fine amount with maybe a live stream. Um, but that's also something I would recommend is, you know, once you start getting a little bit more of a following, do live streams as, you know, as a, like a supplementary thing, um, especially like this kind of conversation, you know, you're very knowledgeable in some things that I didn't even know about. So I, I'd love if you started, you know, did something like that moving forward. Uh, I would def definitely be interested in doing live streams if I actually uh, build up enough of an audience to have people watch it. So Hey, if you got two people, you got an audience. That's all I'm saying. You know, all I'm saying. Uh, yeah, that's true. Just, just out of curiosity, uh, how did you come up with the Ravens? Eye? Are you mostly an Odin follower, or like, what's the dynamic there? Um, I'm obsessed with Ravens. They follow me everywhere, and they're not even native to where I live. I see them all the time. Um, but I. I thought of the raven's eye because the, like i said i'm obsessed with the raven but the eye is really it's the window to your soul it's what odin sacrificed to gain the wisdom from the well of mimir um to me the raven's eye is basically saying it's the the window into who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. Ian, were you about to say something? I thought I saw you move. You do like a slight finger pull when you're about to say something. So I thought. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask like kind of what um, on the topic of YouTube, like what kind of prompted you to start it? I know maybe you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but I know you kind of talked about how you wanted to. I feel like you have a very similar mindset to like myself and Jacob, where we kind of like to we want to teach people as much as possible, but there's not a curiosity as to what, what prompted you to start doing a YouTube. I had an extremely intense experience with the gods and where it basically felt like they were kicking me in the ass and telling me I needed to uh, 
do more to help the community and to share what I've learned while at the same time continuing to always learn more. Oh, so you do crafts, you, you craft as well, because you were talking about the, the rune set. So uh, like, what do you, what all do you make? Are you just mostly craft runes or yeah, what do you got um, behind there? I have actually sitting next to me uh, a set of runes that I recently carved. Um, I also have uh, an awesome little uh, massive chunk of crystal, um, quartz crystal that uh, I carved with the uh, runes for the Raven's Eye. And I'm working on a uh, carving of Odin into another stone. Um, I've made a uh, some walking staffs and done bunch of little stuff uh, i've uh fooled around with uh casting and uh blacksmithing a bit um but uh recently it's been mostly uh stone carving um i'm sure if baker was actually here he would talk about he, he's our like resident craftsman but um is there any particular like ritual practice you have with like crafting i mean obviously with like the runes a lot of people ask me like hey when you carve runes like what do you do so do you have any specific process you do when you uh when you're doing like these religious icons or working with runes i visualize the rune in my head while i'm carving it and just focus on uh basically the intent of the having the, the rune just hold power for the person that it's intended for um sometimes i'll carve uh, a rune into a random rock and i won't know why until i meet a random person and just from a conversation i know all of a sudden hey i've got this rock or this uh, crystal that i carved the rune into and i feel like it should be with you and so like periodically i uh, i feel the right energy off of somebody for one of these runes and it matches basically the energy I got from the rune when I carved it and then it's just I pass it along oh you're in the right place of like people that understand rocks and like little trinkets and things I tell you every gathering I walk around someone just eventually shows up and they're like I have this rock for you and I'm like thank you I guess and they kind of like wander off and I just have this like collection of gift rocks I have now but at the same time like each one has come at a very you know important moment because usually one's got like Othal on it or Laogus or something like that so uh it's just very interesting that there's this this collectiveness of cool rocks within the pagan community well here's a uh, an interesting bit of information for you crystal is capable of storing information i.e crystal can have memory. Uh, there's actually, uh, in recent years, been a lot of work done on like crystal memory storage systems for computers. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, our sciences and technology is now showing that these ideas that people have had for a long time, that these crystals and stones could store energy basically is actually coming true. Well, that's not like, um, I got into like a super long debate with an atheist last night. Um, like I play video games with him and you know, for some reason he wanted to talk about religion. I'm like, all right, let's go dog. Let's, let's see how this goes. And it was like a five hour conversation, but it was really good. Um, cause he, he's really big on like, if it can't be proved by science, it's not real. 
And so me and him got into this long debate of like, well, in the poetic Edda or in the old stories, you can see these connections of actually understanding science. And then when we started learning science, all of a sudden it was like, oh, these actually make sense. Um, like, you know, the basic idea of a shield protecting Midgard from, you know, from basically outer space. And it's like, oh, so they had a basic idea of, you know, the atmosphere. And to me, that kind of stuff just blows my mind. So like the crystal thing, that's just really cool too. Um, I've always wondered why we're just so obsessed with, with shiny rocks. It's that that's also mentality. just part of our, it's a part of who we are. It's ingrained in our DNA to like shiny rocks. Oh, let's see here. Um, oh, I was going to ask. So you talked about being introduced to Wicca at, um, you know, eight years old. So like, how, how was that like, because coming, I think, well, Ian, your, your, your background's a little bit pretty similar as well. Like me and Shirt obviously grew up in Christian households. So I just wanted to, like, what was that, that first introduction like, you know, was, I mean, because I'm assuming you weren't, it wasn't something like, really extravagant right away so like you want to explore that a little bit more for us um my first introduction to wicca was actually in the form of a spell book that uh, i got from a friend when i was in like fourth grade third or fourth grade something like that um i i i didn't take a a, a soft step into it i just kind of dove head first into it um wasn't necessarily the smartest idea to try and tackle really complex ideas when I was still eight years old. But uh, I, I read pretty much any book on Wicca or magic I could get my hands on. And uh, I think that really helped shape uh, my uh, outlook on the world and life as I was growing up. Yeah, mine was definitely a lot more subtle than that. Um... Like my mom uh, was a, a Wiccan practitioner or and other various forms of, uh, of paganism. She did stuff with the Egyptian pantheon for a while. She did a lot of stuff with um, Native American spirituality, tarot cards, things like that. So like for me, it was a lot more like of a subtle exposure because like I saw my mom doing things with tarot cards. I saw her making, um, you know, the Egyptian equivalent to rune stones. They're actually really cool. She made them look like... Uh, scarab beetles out of clay and everything like that and then like painted them and did them all up and stuff like that so for me yeah it was definitely a lot more of a subtle like like thing that i was just exposed to compared to like you just getting handed a, a spell book at a young age yeah i was probably uh both lucky and cursed with that um lucky because i got my hands on a lot a lot of books in a very short time um unlucky because it kind of became extremely overwhelming very quickly so you say like these books that you've collected it seems like you have a very like eclectic range of knowledge is there any one thing that you would say that norse pagans need to dive more into i mean most people come to this faith and they're like read the poetic edda and that's kind of where they stop so is there anything that you feel like people would benefit from reading or researching more into absolutely read the vedic texts from um hinduism um, I suggest reading uh, some of the works of uh, Zoroastrianism and the other uh, Indo-Iranian beliefs. Um, read not only about the Norse, but the Celts, uh, the Slavic and Baltic and Uruk peoples. Um, read about uh, the Etruscans, because uh, the runes we have are not Norse in origination. They're Etruscan 
and potentially even older than that. Um, look at not just the history of paganism and the beliefs, but look into animism, because you can't have paganism without animism. If uh, you really want to start look, working in more of the magical side of things, I highly, highly recommend don't look at only one particular practice. You want to cast your net wide and take in everything that you can and find what works for you. So you talk about like, uh, you know, divination is, you know, so far the only practice I've, I've heard directly. Is there any form of like magical practice that you do do um, that you want to talk about? Because like, I mean, you've picked up these spell books at a young age. So what have you carried with you into to Norse paganism? Because spellcraft is one of those things where it's like, to, I think some members in this community, it's become a taboo and they don't even want to touch it. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear what, what you do within that practice. I do a lot of rune spells, which bind runes are basically a rune spell. But what I'm talking about is a lot more complicated. It's not just combining certain runes that mean certain things for a general overall theme. It's you're crafting a specific bind rune with specific runes in specific locations, creating a general overall shape. Um, and there's a specific purpose in mind when creating this um for instance uh i recently did a, a rune spell for my sister i used a uh, bind rune that i created that was made up of about 20 individual runes and they were all arranged in such a way that they made a giant uh Nothis rune out of the entire thing and i carved it into a uh, turtle shell uh, I specifically chose the turtle shell because this uh, spell was intended to be a uh, protection from blood magic, from uh, curses and hexes. And uh, I had to carefully carve this, uh, the, this spell into the uh, turtle shell while the entire time, like I was repeating in my head what it was for, putting my intent into what I was doing. Because the way I define magic, it is one's conscious attempt to affect the uh, random chaotic nature of the world around them. So by doing your magic, whether it's just a simple ritual or a simple offering to the gods, you are doing that in order to consciously have an intended effect so even the simplest of offerings and rituals is still magic so i actually had a, a relatively similar conversation of as far as like um the use of magic and stuff like that coming into norse paganism bringing it bringing other sources from different practices in last night um with a member of the discord and so she came from primarily practicing Wicca and the way that she described um, maybe you can kind of help you know either uh, confirm or deny this or your own opinion on this but she was saying that with Wicca the way that magic is taught to people it's it stays at a very basic like introductory level 
So once you kind of get your basic understanding of things, there isn't like a deeper like uh, there isn't like another path that you can go deeper into a particular thing. It's just kind of like here's the basics, here's your introduction, and then that's it. Like you have to start to search elsewhere through other like pantheons or other forms of magic. When I guess it it leads a lot of people to stop pursuing that that path or at least stop pursuing like the magic aspect of Wicca. I don't know if you can, you know, give your own opinion on that, but it, it's just, it's funny that we kind of we're having this conversation because I had a very similar one uh, last night with an individual. Well, I actually was just talking about this a couple of moments ago. Um, you absolutely have to go and look at multiple cultures, multiple pantheons and multiple sources in order to learn as much as you can because what we know of each individual um, culture's magic is extremely limited, all right? So you have to be open-minded and willing to work with magics from other cultures in order to better understand and further your own. Right, and that, that's a very similar thing to what I told her. Um, the main thing was her asking if there was like a, a if the Norse, pantheon or like Norse paganism had its own ways of magic and for some reason she was under the impression that it, it there really wasn't I was like oh no no like there's a lot there's a lot of various different things that you can go into um but yeah I, I agree like there's definitely having been somebody that is practiced and dabbled with a few other different forms of paganism and stuff like that like yeah I, I 100% agree like you have to kind of reach out to other other forms of of regions and religions with magic and stuff like that to kind of like you said get a better understanding because there are similarities but then there's also ways like those similarities will then turn into something completely different that you may have not been able to figure out going one way or the other so for instance like i do a lot of uh shaman stuff shamanistic things but i had to learn what i do by looking at a whole bunch of different cultures i taken bits and pieces from Celtics, uh, from the Norse, from the Sami, um, from Baltic peoples, even uh, I've taken some things from like Native American beliefs and from uh, some African beliefs as well. Um, so it, it's not like I just went out and learned Seder and Seder alone. Uh, I went out and learned as much as I could. And I found that a lot of what I was learning from across the board was just fitting in pieces into one giant overall puzzle that I couldn't finish just by looking in one place. Um, this is something I've been really big on in the pagan community at large is that we've allowed ourselves to become so closed off that we don't wanna like connect with one another and learn from one another. Even though that's one of the main precepts of this entire faith is gathering wisdom from all, all corners of the world. Um, you know, and that's not just Norse paganism and like Hellenistic paganism or Egyptian paganism, that's Norse paganism in itself. Like, you know, we've allowed ourselves to become so closed off from one another when we all contain a piece of this puzzle. Um, so, you know, especially when it comes to like things like magic work and, you know, shamanism, you know, if it wasn't for other cultures, we would literally have nothing. And so, you know, with me, I tend to go more for the Native American shamanism as far as my own personal practice. And so, 
I don't know. It's, it's just crazy to me that we have a lot, you know, so many of us, you know, obviously I don't think anyone here, but so many of the people in the pagan community have allowed themselves to close themselves off from wisdom and knowledge. And it's just baffling to me. Yeah. I don't understand why anybody would just pick one school of thought, close themselves off to any other and not be willing to look anywhere else. I was one of the things that led me away from Christianity is because all the different churches that I went to throughout my life, each one of them was like, no, you need to believe in this way and no others. And I've always been more of an open-minded person and believing that there's value to be found in every culture and from every religion. I will never forget when I was still trying to figure out my way and I was beginning to become interested in like Catholicism, like my early pagan days. I was like, Ooh, I don't think there's just one God. What are these saints? Tell me about that. And uh, my mom asked, and she was like, have you decided to accept the Lord Jesus into your life? And I was like, well, I'm looking, you know, those Catholics seem kind of interested. She's like, they don't believe what we believe in. They're going to hell. And I'm like, oh, that's strange. Like, aren't they Christians too? And she's like, not our kind of Christians. <laughs> like, oh, that is very strange. I don't understand that at all. <laughs> it, it's funny that you uh, bring up Catholicism because in a way, Catholicism is not actually a monotheistic religion. Um, with the way that they describe the saints and then the uh, choirs of angels, uh, the setup of Roman Catholicism is more polytheistic than monotheistic oh, I'll, I'll definitely agree when it comes to uh christianity as y'all know i'm pretty well versed in it uh the the roman catholics you, you got to remember the, the roman emperor is the reason why the roman catholic church exists in the first place before he was a christian he was a pagan he, he believed in multiple gods you know the roman gods saturn jupiter uranus uh mars all these uh, Pluto, all, all these other gods, and then they kind of had to change and form Christianity to fit the Roman people when that whole weird takeover place uh, begins. And and that particular part of history is really interesting whenever you start to uh, study into it because there's so much change happening so fast that a lot of things that were pagan ends up getting ingrained into the Roman Catholic beliefs. Yeah. Um, the uh, Roman Catholic Church would adopt pagan practices and beliefs to, and convert those beliefs and practices into their own versions in order to try and make it easier to convert the uh, pagans. I know everyone gets all uppity, especially around the Christmas time for um, like pagans, you know, Yule's the reason for the season. I mean, shoot, I have a video called Yule's the reason for the season because it's a, an easy thing to attach to, um, which is like, oh, everything's pagan because the Roman Catholic Church stole everything. But I like to think of things, and I mentioned this in like the, uh, like the Yule Christmas live stream I did, and I'm like, the reason for the season is because there's magic. Like for some reason, most cultures that have like the same seasons we do just feel some form of magic around December. And I think that's why we have holidays around then because of that magic that's in the air. And even like as a child that was, you know, a, a Christian, so to speak, I felt that magic around Christmas time. And now that I'm, you know, past, you know, following the pagan path, I understand it more. I'm like, oh, we have holidays now because we're trying to harness that magic that is in the air. Um, a part of it has to do with um, the seeing winter as the uh, death of the sun. And 
a lot of cultures had their beliefs start with sun worship. Um, so the solstice was always seen as um, the death of the sun and um, the first new moon after the solstice would be seen as its rebirth. Uh, so for instance, um, the sunoblo, the, um, the bloat that you hold where you uh, welcome the new sun was not traditionally done on the solstice, but rather uh, on the night of the first new moon. Um, a lot of people nowadays happen to do it on the solstice. I myself do it on the solstice. Um, but uh, either way is actually correct. Well, and I think that, you know, that goes back to intent as well, like the intent behind staying up all night and actually bringing, you know, hailing in the new sun, you know, like we did it on like the 12th or whatever. We didn't even do it on the solstice just because that's just where our gathering was. And, you know, at the same time, I still feel like it had the effect it needed to. Um, so for me, I don't, I don't get so like locked in on the days, you know, whether you do it on the solstice or the new moon or just whenever's the best, the time of year, I feel like, you know, the, the intent behind it is truly the most powerful part. Intent is always the most powerful part of anything that you're doing in this faith. Um, so we actually are getting close to being out of time because we have a, another podcast after this, and then I have another podcast after this, and I'm going to go crazy. Um, so uh, Hugh, is there anything else you want to leave anyone with, like any words of wisdom, or you know, or you can just plug your social medias and tell people where to find you? Well, you can find me on YouTube. It's uh, Raven's Eye. Um, my Instagram is the Raven's Eye Kindred. And I'll leave my parting words as always be willing to learn. There's value to be found everywhere. That's 20 times better than Ian's dumb stair-stepping speech he gave that one time. <laughs> hey, we don't we don't talk about that. Yes, we do. Oh, oh we do <laughs> we talk always about that. talk about the stairs. <laughs> you just gotta, you know, take a stair and then go to the next take a step first step <laughs> on the stair. <laughs> All right. Another horse, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Hugh, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Folk Podcast. Thank you for this conversation. I, I've actually learned some things. I've taken some notes. Um, so please give him a follow. Uh, watch his YouTube. Actually, do you have a plan for your next video coming out? Like, do you have a date, idea, like range? What are you feeling? I have a video that's going to be coming out in a few days. It's just a simple video of um, some hiking that I did recently set to some uh, music. But after that, I'm going to be posting up the video uh, about Heimdall being Alden's brother Heinier. And then after that is my video on Hugen and Munin. All right. Awesome. Well, everyone, please go check him out um, on his Instagram, the Raven's Eye Kindred, and then the Raven's Eye on YouTube. Um, but folk, um, if you are interested in being on the Folk Podcast, we are trying to keep up with this as best we can, but we always receiving emails. So I think what we're going to try to do is start recording them within the same days, beginning of the month kind of thing. So at the beginning of every month, we're going to sit down and kind of figure out our guests. So we kind of have this month's guest figured out. But if you're interested in being on the show in February, please give us an email at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you have a topic you want to hear us talk about, please send it there as well. But otherwise, folk, until the hall, skull. 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 Skull.